email and now SMS marketing. I mean, just a way that you can own your fans' information and like things shift and evolve. And like, you know, um, yeah, it's great to like, sure, currently Instagram is like the official artist's homepage at this point, is their profile, is like how you interact and how you get information out. But you know, four years ago, it was Facebook, and maybe it'll shift and evolve into TikTok. Episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. Who knows? What's going on? Welcome to the New Music Business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book. Uh, I don't know if you can tell. I'm a little stuffed up right now. I'm just getting over a cold. Yes, it is a cold it's not COVID. I got tested. It's negative. I'm also completely vaccinated, which if you haven't been vaccinated, I highly encourage it. It is a marvelous thing. Part of the reason I have a cold now is because I'm going out living my life again and uh, naturally living life with other humans around and you pick up these common colds and the random stuff that was a part of life in the before times. But now uh, we're getting close to the after times, which is very exciting because that means live music is coming back. Very, very, very soon, um, I was able to perform a show for my release just a few weeks back. It was a live-streamed concert because we're not quite there in California to open up the venues to attendees, but we're getting there. But I did get to perform inside of the venue with a full band, and I was levitating the entire time. It was quite a magical experience. Honestly, one of the highlights of my year. Even performing in in an empty club um, with the band, though, it was quite quite magical. So get vaccinated. Come on, you can do it. Anyway, uh, today my guest is Michael Walker. He is in the band Paradise Fears. Now, just about a decade ago, they made headlines. Well, they did something that they call tour hacking. Uh, This is the DIY method of DIYers. And what they did was basically they sold 24,000 CDs in just a few months to get this Fans standing in line for concerts. Not their concert, mind you. Other people's concerts. Uh, I'll let him tell the the full story of how this happened, but they sold the 24,000 CDs at around $10. You do the math. Not bad for hustling your CDs on the street. Now, obviously, this tactic doesn't really work anymore. So we talk about the evolution and what that turned into and what his ideas are now in how you can take the same methods of tour hacking and how that worked a decade ago and what he's seen work today. And we this was a, a much more of a conversation and, and we pontificate quite a bit back and forth on all different promotional methods. And and this was uh this was one where we kind of went deep into marketing concepts and tactics and um human psychology and sociology and all of that stuff. And uh, I think you're going to dig it if you're looking for more kind of uh, creative marketing 
techniques and tactics and figuring out what should be working these days and isn't and why it's not and how people are responding to your music and incentives and blah, 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 all that stuff. Anyway, I think you're going to dig the the episode. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ari Herstand. You can find all of us at Ari's Take on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Of course, visit ariestake.com to get on that email list. That's where you're going to get all the most current, relevant information. And of course, subscribe to this show. Follow it. Like it. However you're listening to it right now, just hit that like button. Hit that subscribe, follow button. And if you're listening on YouTube, leave a comment. I want to hear what you think. I read all those comments. And if you could leave a review, preferably five stars, on Apple Podcasts, that would be wonderful. Those really help. All right, let's kick into the show. All right, Michael Walker, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Totally. So um, you have a really interesting story. Um, now, you know, the headline, uh, which which got my attention, and I feel like I heard about this back in the day when you're actually doing it, is that your band... Paradise Fears, uh, sold like 24,000 CDs to people waiting in line for other shows, and then you charted on Billboard. Because Can you can you explain this from the get-go? Because this is, this is something that I want to hear more about. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we uh, had this idea based off of, you know, we, we, were, we grew up in this uh, pop rock, pop punk scene with like Mayday Parade and All Time Low and like 182. And we heard about them doing this. And I think this was pretty common at festivals um, like Warp Tour, mm-hmm. where they were just walking around with headsets and they're meeting people and selling <laughs> yeah. CDs and just hustling, hustling CDs. And, you know, apparently it, it worked really well for them. And, um, you know, my, my band grew up in a really small town uh, in Vermilion, South Dakota, and there's, you know, a few thousand people that live there here around. And um, when we first decided we wanted to pursue our, our music full time um, out of high school, I remember working really hard to book our first tour. Like we were just reaching out to everyone on MySpace and trying to like set up these, these shows. And we're really what year are we talking? This is like 2009, eight? 2010, 10? Okay. 2010. Yeah. And, um, you know, and back then we were we were so excited. We 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 finally like booked a full like regional tour, and we were about to go out. And we we're telling all friends, "Yeah, we're going out on a tour, and it's gonna right. be cool." And, um, really quickly, we learned that uh, it's not enough to just be able to book the shows, but you actually have to know how to get people to come out to the shows. <laughs> yeah. So you played to a lot of empty rooms, I'm assuming. Yeah, empty rooms, or like just the bartender in the back of the room, and we're like lugging our gear up through three flights of stairs, and it's like no yeah. one came and. Um, my parents are like, like, how are things going? It's awesome. It's great. <laughs> um, oh God! Oh. And you know, at the time we were we were living in our van, sleeping in Walmart parking lots. And I remember like going into Walmart and getting a big stack of flour tortillas and a big jar of, of peanut butter, and that was like breakfast, lunch, and dinner for us every day. It was peanut oh, butter tortillas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you think that the mu- musician's life is glamorous? <laughs> yeah, yeah and right. You hear these stories. Yeah, been there. Right. Yep. Um, it's, I mean, sometimes though, like where the glamour came in is when you throw a banana in the peanut butter tortilla and then it's like a peanut butter <laughs> banana tortilla and that's right, now, right, right. Now, now we're talking. Um, so, I mean, this, this idea, um, that now we, we call it tour, tour hacking. Um, mm-hmm. I think back in the day we like, we referred to it as tour hustling and then it just it evolved over time and now it's tour hacking. And basically the idea was, um, an idea our lead singer had, which he in turn heard of from Mayday Parade doing it at Warped Tour. 
And the idea was, you know, we were huge fans of bands like All Time Low, Mighty Parade, and you know, they had bands they had like millions of fans, and before their shows, they would have um, thousands of people waiting in line to go into the show. Right. And sometimes for you know, since the morning or even like days in advance, um, people would just be waiting, not really doing anything better than just waiting for the show. And so um, we thought, what if we um, introduce ourselves to these people and share some of our music? And so. There were six of us in the band, and um, we split up into groups of two, and we followed three different tours around the country. And yeah, I was like a super shy, awkward kid, so like walking up to strangers in line and introducing did not come naturally at all. I was like shaking and stuttering when I, when I walked up to people. Um, but what we found was was just that it it worked really really well, and um, in about four and a half months, we sold twenty four thousand CDs doing that with six of us in the band. Wait, so break this yeah. down a little bit more. I, I need to know how this went. So you would walk up to somebody in line holding, what, a disc man and headphones? What, how did this work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could. I mean, what's funny is it's been a while now. It's been like a hot minute, but I could probably still just from, like it's been so hard burned into my DNA from doing Hit it me. so many times that I could probably like give I'm you I'm an all-time dish. low fan standing in line in, with great <laughs> anticipation. The doors okay. are opening in two hours. <laughs> This, You're this wearing young, like an all-time low shirt. You're sitting down on a blanket at the front of the line. Yeah. Um, so I'd walk up like, hey, hey, are you guys waiting in line for the all-time low show? Yeah. So of course yeah, they're like, I totally wait, am. Like, wearing all-time low show. Duh. Awesome. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, do, you, do you mind if I talk to you for a few minutes while you're waiting in line? Yeah. And that was you're cute. Really sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want to just like butt into conversation. You want to kind of right. have like permission before you start talking to people. That's oh, really awesome. So uh, my name is Michael. I play keyboard in a band called Paradise Fears, and basically we're huge fans of All Time Low, and, and someday we'd really love to go on tour with them. And um, we noticed that before their shows, they always have thousands of people waiting in line. So we thought that a smart thing to do would just be to um, introduce ourselves and share some of our music. So if you're interested, I've got a pair of headphones here that have some 30-second clips of our songs. But I should probably warn you that most people who listen to the songs enjoy them so much that they start to like cry and faint. And so, so if you need any tissues, I brought a backpack full of tissues. Um, I have really fast reflexes, so I'll make sure you have like, you like fall faint, you don't hit your head on the ground. Yeah, that, that was like my Cute. go-to icebreaker. That's funny. That's a good one. That's good. That's really good. I like that. So then, so and, I'm like, yeah, 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 uh, sure, okay, I guess. So then they listen. I listen. Yeah. And, and the secret was back in the day, we, uh, I mean, we, we experimented with different things. We played it with like a speaker. We yeah. did like different like mediums. And what worked best um, for us was actually these like cheap pair of $10 Sony headphones mm. that you could break apart. So the two different <laughs> earphones like were kind of separated and two people could listen at once. So that right. kind of became like a shared experience between two people that was still kind of private where they were kind of listening together. And so usually we'd walk up and there's a group of like five or six, you know, people waiting in line together. And so I'd, so two of them would be listening at a time. And as they're listening to it, I would have to start a conversation with other people on the line and just ask, so like, is this your first all-time low show? Or have you like come out to a show before? What's your favorite all-time low song? Um, and just you know, building, like having a conversation, just being mm -hmm. human and, and building a relationship and trying to come up with as many inside jokes as I possibly can in the course of, you know, a short conversation so that I could like personalize the conversation. I wasn't just like a cookie cutter, like same conversation with everyone. Sure. So if they have, if they're wearing something funny, like, you know, you might like try to work that into it, work, work it into it somehow. But, um, you know, basically worked the way around the group. So everyone had a chance to listen to the songs. After, 
lot of times, if some if people are listening to it. Sometimes I would make a joke about like, oh man, like you have like a really intense listening face because they'd be like, yeah. you know, right. sitting there like listening. Um, after everyone had a chance to listen, uh, I would say I think, awesome. So, uh, what did you guys think? Did did you like it? Did you hate it? And um, you know, nine times out of ten, they'd be like, yeah, this is awesome. Um, where can we listen to more? Like, well, uh, if, if you liked it, if you're interested, um, I have a backpack full of CDs here. Uh, and this is uh, it's called Yours Truly, and it's produced by the same guys that produced All Time Low and Made It Parade. And you know, I think if you like the music you just listen to, you'd really like the CD. Um, normally, there's 11 songs on it, so I normally charge $10 for it. But to be honest, you know, the reason that I became a musician, the reason I'm out here right now, isn't because um, I'm trying. We're trying to make as much money as possible, but really, it's just because, like I said, we want to go on tour with All Time Low, and we want to be able to reach as many people with our music. So. You know, if you have $10 on you, we really appreciate it. It goes towards touring and recording new music. But also, um, if you don't have $10 on you, I'm happy to give you a CD for free. And, and, and how many people took you up on the $10 versus the free? I would say probably four out of five groups. Um, there's multiple people who bought the CD at full price. And some, and a lot of times people, like I remember getting a $100 bill once for like wow. for someone who was, just, who was going above and beyond. And so we, we definitely, um, so, you know, sometimes we did, uh, we did little things where it's like if I really liked a group, I might get like two for the price of one or stuff like that. But um, I would say probably over 90 90 to 95% of people actually got the CD at full price. Okay, my math isn't great, but 24,000 CDs over four months uh, were 90 to 95% bought it at $10. That is around $200,000. Are you here telling me that you made $200,000 by hawking your CDs to fans in line <laughs> at all time low shows? Because if that's, is that serious? You know, I think it was somewhere between one to two hundred k. So if, if that, it might have been, we might have given out more two for ones than I than I really recall. Um, but it was somewhere in in that ballpark. Wow. Uh, so I mean, I mean, you know, artists are listening to this right now. They're like, they're 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 looking at their favorite bands right now, their tour schedules that are now being announced post COVID, and they're like, oh, we're gonna go do this. But but I, <laughs> you know, let's remind everyone listening before you start jumping on uh, jumping in the the lines of fans sitting outside the venue this was 2010 this is pre-spotify this is when people still bought cds obviously these kids who are waiting in line for their latest hottest band right now they don't even have cd players they might not even yeah they, they probably never bought a cd in their life um so this is actually a really interesting time but i mean to continue that story that i mean not only is that amazing that you made all this money from just showing up there i mean uh, the the cats on on uh venice beach right now who are still doing it to this day with the disc mans and every and hawk in their cities i mean i would would marvel at your numbers and your success right um but uh all time low actually it worked they brought you on tour right yeah that that was like a dream country when that happened i, I remember the moment that we learned that like because we were we were out i think probably probably tour hacking but i remember we were staying at like a couple of people and we were staying at their house i remember getting the news from their manager over an email and i remember literally just jumping up and down around the house being like this is crazy how did they come like, in what happened going, how did you how did that happen yeah yeah so our lead singer had been in conversation with them through email i think he had reached out also um i mean so they heard about what we were doing um and i remember when we were when we were following them on tour it was 
I mean, not necessarily an ideal situation because they had a, a tour bus and they had a driver and like the dates that, that they were driving to, sometimes they would be driving overnight. And so mm-hmm. for us, as much as we wanted to like stay for every show, um, a lot, most times, like as soon as the show started, like, all right, in the, in the car, drive right. to a nice place, wow. drive to a McDonald's and pull out our laptops. And like, and we also had like a notebook where we were like taking emails to just like add everyone's email Smart. on Facebook. Smart. <laughs> and um, and so like we were pretty go, go, go. And a lot of times we had to drive like long drives. And, um, but I remember in Nashville, um, they were, they had a sold out show. So they also had, they had like two back to back dates. And so we got to stay after one of their shows and we, you know, we had this idea before, before this, which was basically like in line, we always would give someone every night, we would give them a CD and we'd say, Hey, you know, the guys usually come out after the shows and, t- and take pictures, sign autographs. Would you mind giving them the CD and, and, um, letting them know that, that we're doing this thing. And so we did that for probably, probably like 20 dates. Wow. And then finally we you know, had this opportunity to stay after the show and, you know, Alex Gaskarth like comes out and he's like taking pictures and riding the fence and whatnot. And I remember like walking up and like, Hey, like, you know, so here's our CD, like we're doing this thing. And, and I remember he, he looked at it and he, and he, he smiled at me. He's like, you know what? We actually have like 12 of these CDs in our van right now. We've listened to it. Like we are in our bus. Like we, we like yeah. it, but uh, we don't need another one of these. Like right. hold on to it. you can, you can sell it. <laughs> Um, like, yeah, like that's, that totally makes sense. I don't know why I just thought that he was like untouchable or it's like somehow these like would just would never magically not get these. But, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, that's kind of how we established contact, uh, originally. And then we reached out, uh, via email and we were talking with their management and, um, they were doing this upcoming tour and they gave us the opportunity to open for them on, on their next tour. And you bet when we, when we were opening for them, we were still doing the same thing. But, Are you serious? And saying we're the oh, openers yeah. right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so much better too when we were actually opening for it too, because then oh, it was yeah. Yeah, just a little bit more credibility. But gosh, dude, I remember one time, <laughs> this was, we were such amateurs, but um, we were out like literally doing this before the show. And I think we had like the yesterday's um, day sheet for some reason and we had the wrong times on like when we were when we were gonna be going on stage oh, no. and I remember being out like meeting people online for the show and someone either on our crew and our band came up like like dude like we're about to go on stage like come come back oh my god like, I gotta go and, like ran and <laughs> jumped on the stage the players jumped for you know thousands of people and um, wow that's hilarious it, that's amazing it was, yeah it's it, it's it's a lot of fun you know I think that there's something there's something so important and so powerful about just like having conversations, like real conversations with, mm-hmm. with your people and building a community with them. And, and I think that having those conversations is really the thing that separated. Um, and it was really like the core behind what we were able to do independently um, was those that direct relationships that we had built. So now I want to know, did you sell more to people in line before your shows or did you sell more at the merch table after the shows? That's a good question. Gosh. I think that we sold a little bit more before before the yes, shows so and after. Crazy. But the merch tables were great. The merch table and I think that they probably kind of tied into each other too because it's like you know, there's something like if you meet someone face to face in the line first and then they you know, especially for the opener and mm-hmm. like they don't really know who you are, they don't really care that much. Right. And then it's like they meet you personally, then you can bet that their attention is going to be like a hundred times more focused. Totally. Like, wow, I know that person. Like I met yep. them and they're going to be more likely to come to the merch table afterwards. I mean, that's great. It's, it's honestly, it's a testament. It, it, well, you put yourself out there. Um, it is very, because I think there's a lot of musicians have this, uh, that musician's mystique. 
and that it's more important to be mysterious and to be elusive. And it's like that rock star mentality. I mean, granted, this has broken down over the last 10 years quite a bit because of social media and everyone is DMing everyone and you can see, you know, people's stories and reels and all of that, their their inner uh, bit of their their lives. Um, and you can literally send a message to somebody's to your favorite musician's pocket these days, and their 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 leg will buzz. So like, if you want to make your favorite musician's leg buzz, you just shoot him a DM, um, you know. And uh, but and and that hasn't been that way before. But but I I do remember you know during the MySpace era back then, like I um I I became friends with uh, Ron Pope, and we went on tour together, and. Uh, he was a MySpace star. He was he was one of the guys who was always on the top three charts of the unsigned charts for MySpace. You know, he had like 70 million plays on MySpace, which at the time was insane. Like nobody was getting those kinds of plays on MySpace. Um, and I asked him because when we started to become friends, like, you know, he was totally unsigned. I mean, still unsigned um, and totally DIY. And I was is there like planning this tour. I'm like. I've seen all these covers of his songs showing up on YouTube and all these streams happening. And I'm like, dude, are you like bribing people to play covers of your songs on YouTube? Like how, what's going on here? How many, how do you, are you like buying these streams or these bots? Like, he's like, honestly, I just respond to every message that comes in and my MySpace profile is written in first person. Now this is the, this is, and it sounds so obvious now, but mind you, this was like 2008, 2009. This is the era of the bands, and you, I'm sure you you can relate to this. This is the era of the bands who were putting up the um, very formulaic "thanks for the ad" banner on a comment on somebody's comment sheet that looks like a label did it, and then everyone's MySpace profile was like pristinely created, looking like. A label made it because you're trying to you everyone was fronting everyone was trying to make themselves look bigger than they were and then the artist that went the other way that did something completely different from what everyone else was doing like ron um and just was like hey i'm ron this is my profile hope you like my music and no one was doing that i wasn't doing that i was making my my myspace profile looking like a label made it and he responded to everybody. Word spreads like, oh, this guy with great music is responding to us. And no one else was. I I wouldn't respond to messages at the time. I was an idiot. But it was because I was like, oh, I have to pretend I'm too famous to respond to messages. And, and it was such a backwards mindset. But we didn't know. Nobody knew at that time because all we had known was to make it in, in the industry was getting signed to a label. And, and we were seeing all of our favorite stars, our idols, our favorite musicians on MySpace their profiles were run by the labels. And so we're like, oh, well, this is how you do it and whatever. But like the artists that went a different way. And I, I think what's exciting and inspiring from your story is like Paradise Fears went a different way. It's just like you swallowed your pride in terms of what you had been kind of probably conditioned to going uh, growing up as in like, well, musicians don't do this because musicians have to have this mystique. And you're like, you know what? Fuck that. That's uh that's old school thinking. And it's all and let's meet the people. Let's meet them. And you learned really quickly that not only did they not think you were less cool for meeting them, they bought your CDs and they became probably a lot of them became super fans because they actually got to meet you. 
Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's it's crazy how many how many messages I still get from people like, oh, I met you online for a show back in 2011 <laughs> at an all-time low show. Um, and sometimes I'll see pictures floating around of like us like wearing our headphones around our neck and, and that whole yeah. thing. But when you said rock pope, is that like uh, drop drop in the a drop ocean, in the ocean? Pope? Oh yeah, you know oh, it. Yeah, dude, it's so what a good. song. Um, yeah. Our uh, <laughs> our our tour manager was a huge huge Ron Pope fan. He introduced me to that that song. It's so good. I covered that song at some point. I'm pretty I'm sure, sure that was you one did. Of the first we all did. First song I played to like my wife when we started dating. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him. Uh, no, he, it's funny because at the time he was blowing up. Uh, you know, I this is the MySpace era. I was booking my first tour uh, out to New York, and I was trying to book a show in New York. And I saw I just like MySpaced singer songwriters New York City, and I started and MySpace. Man, I just like. We, there still isn't a platform like MySpace. I, I'm I'm so like nostalgic for what MySpace offered, but you could literally search for artists, check the unsigned box, independent artists, and and just see all the shows that they were playing in that city. Any, it was so cool. And uh, anyway, I searched it and I saw, oh, this singer songwriter named Ron Pope is playing this cafe in Greenwich Village. Over the time, I'm going to be in New York. Let me ask him if I can open for him and do like a show trade. So I, I hit him up, uh, or I listened to his music. I'm like, yeah, this is great. Hit him up. And he's like, yeah. So my offer was, uh, can I open your show in Greenwich Village? And then I'm actually booking Summerfest in Milwaukee right now. I happen to be being able to book a stage at Summerfest, which is the world's largest music festival. Over a million people go every year. And I was booking a stage. And it was an 11-day festival. Um, and I'm like, yo, I can book you every day on the stage if you want. Uh, it's a side stage, but you'll sell a boatload of merch and you'll make a ton of fans. It's great. I've been doing it for a couple of years already. And he's like, oh, that sounds like a great deal. <laughs> so I opened for him in front of 40 people at this cafe. And then he played this festival. We became good friends. And then he was like, uh, so I see you tour all the time, Ari. Like, I really want to tour. I've sold uh millions of downloads on itunes right now and i have all these fans but like i don't have a booking agent i don't have a manager i don't have a label i don't know how to tour he's like would you book a tour for me i'm like no but i'll book a tour for us if i'm opening and he's like (laughs) he's like all right let's go so i booked us a 60 date tour around the country and uh you know we did it together and it was great um but here's the problem though this was our tour was 2011 now, MySpace had since pretty much died like a year or two prior to that, um, and he hadn't transitioned. He hadn't, at the time, gotten any of those fans' contact information, and <sighs> it was like he had all these fans on MySpace. And this is a cautionary tale that I continue to tell because it's important because platforms die, and like the artists who are, like, are building everything up on TikTok right now – and they're, they're 19, and they're like, yeah, TikTok's a thing. I'm like, yeah, it's a thing right now. But let me tell you a little story in my day about MySpace. <laughs> and it's like, yo. So he had all these fans on MySpace. MySpace died. And then he uh, – we went on this tour, and he had no way to contact them. He, they like, they, he hadn't built up his YouTube following. He hadn't trans, transitioned them to Facebook. He hadn't gotten their emails. So he had all of these sales, and Apple does not give – contact information when somebody downloads your song unfortunately i wish i got everyone's email who downloaded my music um but they don't so you know he's like oh yeah i sold thirty thousand downloads in the city of dallas and that was the the stats that i was using when booking the shows and you know thirty thousand people in dallas downloaded 
his music. And, you know, we had like 350 people show up at the show, which is which is notable and 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 um fine, but like that's not 30,000 people, you know, like and there was no way to even let these 30,000 people know other than like putting an ad in the paper at the time. Like this was pre-targeted Facebook ads. This was pre all of that stuff. Um but it made me it made me think I'm like, wow, the email is very very important. It's like it's really important to to own your fans because Right now, you rent them the social media platform. He was renting his fans to MySpace, through MySpace. People rented their fans to Vine. I had a lot of friends who were Viners at the time, and then when Vine died, they lost all their fans. People are renting their fans to Instagram, to YouTube, to TikTok right now, and I thought it was really smart. You had the foresight at the time. It's just like, all right, we're not just trying to make this quick buck here and trying to make this money. Granted, you made a lot of money in, in that time period, which is awesome, um, way more money than most artists were making who were the openers of uh, the normal openers of these tours, um, you know, and uh, but you are also getting their emails. So that's really smart. How many emails would you say you got through that time period? Mm. Um, somewhere in the thousands. I'd have to, yeah. to, to be honest. We got it in like a notebook and we like wrote down all of them. And, and I think <laughs> so that tough. we actually, I think we made the mistake of probably about two thirds of the way through. I think that we actually stopped collecting emails because it was slowing us down a bit. Yep. And in retrospect, I wish that we had just kept doing it the entire time. But um, yeah, I think that we did stop collecting them about two thirds of the way through. Um, but 100%, dude, I, I agree. That, that's such a great story and a great reminder um, about the importance of of collecting a contact list and not relying on just like one platform where all mm-hmm. people are, are hosted, you know, like Facebook likes and then organically right. you can't really reach those people anymore. There's a, there's a segment in our, in our webinar that, that I do that we call it like the rain catcher, which is the idea that like, you know, when the storm happens and you have all this exposure and these new listeners are happening, like you want to make sure you have like a, a, a quote unquote rain catcher, like a funnel or something to collect the contact info. And then we make this joke about how, kind of like you have this farmer this farmer uh neighbor who's call him farmer facebook and he's like howdy y'all like you want to use one of my rain catchers they're free <laughs> facebook and instagram right and it's like, like yeah cool he's, he's, he's like well you know what you want to reach these people you gotta pay me some money right um and then so we're like yeah so you know take the rain catchers and like pour them into your own rain catcher like be on the platforms but like you absolutely need to have your own crm as well that that you're building that relationship with them crm um, so yeah, the uh, customer relationship manager. So, like, what you know, that? like an email, uh, email list, so like Active Campaign, uh, Mailchimp, Mailchimp. Um, I got like it. Any, yeah. any of those platforms. Cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, totally. And and that's, um, I think we're finding is really important. And I've learned over the years. I mean, email and now SMS marketing. I mean, just a way that you can own your fans' information and like things shift and evolve and like you know. Um, yeah, it's great to like, sure. Currently Instagram is like the official artist's homepage at this point is their profile is like how you interact and how you get information out. But you know, four years ago it was Facebook and maybe it'll shift and evolve into TikTok. Who knows? Um, things always change, but it's like, if you build everything up on one platform, how are you going to get to those people when that platform becomes irrelevant or these people leave? Um, like we saw, well, like we've seen time and time again. And I found the only surefire way is email or SMS marketing or through text messaging. And it's like, you know, my email list is my lifeline. Like that is how I'm able to survive. And and that's like, you know, 
and, and it's 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 it takes a bit of humility also when like I get like people like to throw their vanity metric stats at me, their definitions of success. I'm like, oh, you don't have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. You must not be very big or whatever. Like, dude, you know what? I'm making a living doing what I love. I think that's that's success. Like, I can I can point to a plenty of people with hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers who have day jobs and are just trying to pay their bills and they're not making. It's like these vanity metrics that get thrown around because people think they know how to define success based on numbers on a screen are completely out there. It's like I have a friend, and I'm like, it's like man, it's disappointing to see this, but what she does is like she, she's got a decent number of Instagram followers, and she'll post an Instagram uh, post, and literally every post she makes, she buys like 1,000 or 2,000 likes for every post. And I'm just like, dude, it takes three seconds. I'm like tapping through your likes, and they're all bots. I'm like, what are you doing? doing like why are you doing this and what is like what is your ultimate goal like is your goal to get more likes on instagram then if that's your ultimate goal then you you have success you have succeeded in getting likes on instagram way to go and if your ultimate goal is to get more quote-unquote followers on instagram and by any means even by purchasing bots then all right You've achieved your goal in 37 seconds by tapping this one button and spending $20 on all the bots that have come through. But I imagine your ultimate goal is not likes on an Instagram post or followers or whatever. I imagine your ultimate goal is making a living with your music, having a successful music career, having a fan base. Now, bots don't come to shows. Bots don't show up, uh, don't buy tickets. Bots don't download your music or support your crowdfunding campaigns. Bots aren't standing in line before an all-time low show. Uh, bots aren't, you know, weren't buying CD. The bots are vapid. There's nothing to them. So, like, that's the thing that I think we get so caught up in the numbers, we forget the ultimate goal, and we forget why are we doing what we're doing. Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, two losses partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for a hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. 
They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, They also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used, and it will just show you a chart of everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register with SoundExchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. Uh, They have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out 2Lost. You can just go to 2Lost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so good, man. I think you're 100% right. And yeah, it's like, it's the the trap that can happen when we get too attached to symbols of success rather than the meaning of what those symbols point to. I think mm-hmm. the same thing can happen with with money. You know, like like money for the sake of money is very shallow and meaningless. Mm-hmm. Money yes. for the sake of what it represents and making that kind of making an impact and helping people, what you can do with money, that's incredibly meaningful. Same thing with follower numbers. Like you know, follower numbers for the sake of follower numbers, completely shallow, completely meaningless. Right. Follow numbers for the for a greater impact, be able to reach more people. Um, there's there's something really noble there. But also, yeah, it's definitely not like size is, is one thing, but also the depth of the relationship and the kind of impact that you can make um, with mm-hmm. those people. In a lot of ways, I think Trump's and it's a much easier goal to achieve, especially if your goal is really just to make a living with with your music it's mm-hmm. it's definitely a lot easier to just focus on the people that you have and go really deep with those relationships and yes. rather than trying to get millions of, of fans totally it's the super fan concept and 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 like you just mentioned impact i you know I, it's you can't really measure impact by looking at spotify numbers you know i i don't know when i see a stream there if that stream came from a person who just had a spiritual experience listening to my song and is now bawling and their life has been completely changed, or if that stream came from somebody who skipped the song after 37 seconds on a playlist and that they just went, I have no idea. There's no impact there. You're not feeling the impact from streaming, but uh, you do feel that impact when you meet them at, after the show or you see them at the concert or, you know, this is why I'm excited about NFTs, the possibility of NFTs, because that is a way that some fans eventually, now it's just in the crypto community, but eventually fans could say, you know what? I really love your music so much. You've impacted me so much. I'm going to pay you way more than a third of a penny when I listen to your song. I want to buy this NFT from this song or this music video or this visualizer, whatever it is, that has been so meaningful to me. You as an artist are so meaningful to me. I want this part of my collection, and I'm gonna I'm gonna spend ten thousand dollars on it, you know. And that is what we are going to see. And this is similar to kind of like you know, it's it's just taking crowdfunding uh, or Patreon patronage uh, to another level. It's like that's in an extent what what kind of Patreon has done and Kickstarter has done um, is enabled artists to take their super fans. And measure that impact a little bit more by um, enabling them to pay you money, which is like something that is such a basic concept, 
But I think we have lost track of that is because like traditionally fans paid artists money by buying concert tickets and merch. Uh, They bought their CDs too, but that money traditionally went to the record labels and they knew that they weren't paying their artists for that. But they're like, you know what? I'm going to buy the tickets and and I'm going to support them. But more so they were doing it because they they really love that artist. And then, you know, that's like when we saw VIP experiences and meet and greet experiences and, and all of that. You know, I once had somebody hit me up before my show in Chicago at Shuba's. Uh, it was sold out, but the capacity is only like 200. And I I didn't offer any VIP, any exclusive experiences or anything. I'm like, I don't know anything. I mean, like, I, there's 200 people here. Like, what what's a, VI, like a, a VIP? I thought it was dumb. I thought that was like, you know, reserved for Justin Bieber. Um, but uh, this dude just messaged me out of the blue and was like, hey, uh, I'm bringing a date. To your show she's a huge fan do you think uh you could invite us down to the green room before the show and place a couple songs um just you know 10 minutes hang out and i'll pay you 200 dollars. i'm just like fuck yeah that is the that is the easiest 200 dollars i ever made they show up and then they i invite him to, literally 10 minutes later i've made 200 i'm like this is crazy like oh my gosh like okay that is a way that you can measure like some people are willing to pay their favorite artists a little bit more than a third of a penny of a cent on a stream. You just have to enable them and offer them ways to do that. And I think we're finally shifting that mentality around from just uh, you have to pay for recorded music, which nobody is valuing recorded music anymore uh, because of streaming, and that's okay. But fans are really willing to pay their favorite artists, and that's what we are also seeing on live streaming. Like I was just chatting with um claire means who she's a instructor for Ari's tech academy for the live streaming course and she uh she makes her living on twitch and facebook live and youtube live and you know she has these super fans we're talking like maybe 100 200 super 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 fans but she's making a really really good living live streaming engaging these super fans who are paying her on a regular basis like i, I had the uh the head of music at twitch on this program on, on the new music business um, and he said that the artists who are making over $50,000 on Twitch are doing so from just 183 people. And it was like, oh, wow, like $50,000, that is like the median income for in the United States for um, people. And, and uh, that that's a living wage. Um, and they're doing so from just 183 people. And when you point that out and you're like, wow, I don't need millions and millions of fans. And like you experienced that direct to fan in the most the most traditional sense of the direct to fan marketing word that you could possibly be which is direct to fan on the street marketing to them so um I, I think it's like it's an exciting uh history and trajectory that we've had but I'm curious your thoughts on where everything is now so paradise fears have been you know uh I I, I you've done great tours over the years done really cool uh support slots you're I know you were signed to a label for a, a minute. I don't know if you still are. Um, you you know, your Spotify numbers, uh, we're going to numbers, are still strong. You know, people are still listening to the band, but I know you've been relatively quiet for the last few years. I'm curious just, like, what are you doing now, and and what have you learned over the course of the last decade working with this grassroots DIY band and uh, and and everything that has gone into that? Hmm. Absolutely. 
Yeah, that's something that that we think is kind of funny. Like we've talked about it with as a band that like the numbers like are like, doing better than they were when we were super super active. <laughs> so it's it's kind of mm-hmm. cool to see things take a life of their own. But you know, about um, about three years ago now, um, when I found out I was going to be a dad um, and we were gone most of the year, I was basically looking for um, what comes next and and how I was going to provide for my family without being gone, and um, kind of stumbled upon few mentors in the online business world and they taught me how to coach and help other artists based on some of the lessons that, that we had learned and mm-hmm. at the beginning when I was reflecting you're like okay what should we share like the number one thing that yeah there's a few like strategies that we did that worked well but I, I know that that you've that you're aware of this this too is this this uh tendency to like it's like we're surfers and it's like and it's like we're all trying to catch these waves and sometimes there's waves that things that worked 10 years ago and like these waves had already passed and everyone's like trying to catch up like oh this worked for this right. person but it's like really we need to kind of be looking at okay what's the upcoming wave right now that we can kind of what's the trend that's happening what can how we can get ahead of that so we can get get this boost of momentum mm-hmm. so i mean in some ways it's interesting a lot of what i've learned over time is that there's these fundamental things that don't really change like you know the ocean is always the ocean or a wave is always a wave even though they're different ways they're made up of the same thing there's these these same fundamental principles which is you know about having a valuable product and about growing your audience and connecting with the people who are most likely to resonate with it mm-hmm. and then monetizing it you know these are kind of these like fundamentals but um, the ways that you do that, the technology, the different strategies have evolved so, so quickly and they're continuing to evolve so, so quickly. It's so hard to keep up with, um, but it's also really fun. You know, it's like we're surfers catching these, these waves. Um, the biggest thing that I think I've learned, so at the beginning, the first thing I was like, okay, well, tour hacking was the best thing I ever did. So I just created like a tour hacking workshop and started teaching like, okay, here's how you go and do this. And it's like, does this still work? You know, people that weren't really listening to CDs um, anymore. I was like, would right. people still buy CDs? Um, there's one band with two guys in the band called In Loving Memory who went out and they did it and they made $11,000 in a single month doing wow. it with two guys in the band. When was this? Um, this is probably about two and a half, three years ago now. Okay. Um, and they were selling CDs? It was right CDs? when I started selling CDs. Yeah. So I think this is like 2018, something like that? 2017? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, I think the thing too is like people aren't really, I don't think people were buying the CDs to like listen to the CDs. I think it was more just like they were just getting it because they had connected with them and they wanted to support them. Right. Um, or it was like a memento or something. Um, usually I wouldn't necessarily recommend like focusing like hugely on like a CD strategy. But, um, but anyway, so I was like, okay, awesome. Like tour hacking, like, or like go do this thing. It's great. And um, realized pretty quickly that most people, uh, most artists like they loved the story of tour hacking. Like, oh, I can see how that works. That's great. Right. I don't want to go meet people waiting in line for shows. And I have a family and a day job. And like, right. is there any other way? Um, We're in a digital yeah. world right now, so it's like there's got to be a way that you can take the concepts from tour hacking into the digital space. Exactly. And, and so, I mean, the last two and a half years has really been a process of sort of exploring and figuring out like what's like how, how can we do this using the tools online. And a lot of what we're teaching now is sort of like a mixture of the lessons that we learned with Paradise Fears, but also mixed with the lessons I've learned with Modern Musician. And, you know, we um, the business grew from being about thirty six thousand dollars in debt when we first started to um, bring in over a million dollars in 2020, mostly on the back of um, paid traffic and JV partner relationships. What what and, what business are you talking about? Uh, modern, modern musician. So the coaching business um, okay. that I started when okay. I started my family. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I was kind of like a, the way I described it was like a it's like a basketball player who became a coach and kind of started working with other um, other artists and, gotcha. and it's awesome. It's like a huge the same way that like when I became a dad, um, 
there, there's that the moment that I found out I was going to be a dad and the moment that he, that Xander was born for the first time, I remember just like my whole center of gravity shift shifted. Mm. And it was just this, like this, um, hard to, hard to articulate, uh, like feeling of, of seeing yourself in another, another person. And just this like admiration for the cycle of life. So I was like, you know, lying, like the cycle of life. <laughs> um, have you heard, you know, uh, same- have you heard Ben Fold's song, uh, still fighting it? Yeah, I love that song. It's a, it's similar. It's that that's that's kind of the concept of that of 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 seeing yourself in your your kid and like it's he's mm-hmm. like there's this line. It's so weird to be back here as a kind of as you he's watching his son grow and watching uh-huh. like you know being in in like more or less remembering that stage of life or at least experiencing it out through different eyes. That's yeah. It's a, I loved how he kind of captured that that concept in that song. Oh man, I love that. I need to go re-listen to it. Have a new yeah. uh, perspective on it. Yeah. Um, so you know, the same way that that I, I look at my kids and I like I see a piece of myself in them, um, I feel the same way about the artists that we're working with because like I, I remember what it was like when we were first starting out and we lived in our van and we slept in Walmart parking lots and right. and I remember people called us Paradise Queers <laughs> instead of Paradise Fears and there was mm-hmm. this stage of like needing, you know, trying so hard and having to work through the self doubt. So there's like just a huge amount of fulfillment and like passion that that comes from helping helping other people um but i think that the thing the through line that i've become more and more aware of because it was both the thing that really helped the first nine months of modern musicians starting out when i was coaching it was it was tough man and it was tough because when i started out i created like a course that was mostly based around tour hacking and mm-hmm. um made like zero sales of it when i first released it and i was about to be a dad and i was like what, what am I going to do? Am I going to have to like go get a quote unquote real job, like a nine to five job? And the thing that, that really helped start getting traction with modern musician was also the same thing that helped starting getting traction with paradise fears. And that's also the thing that helps ours work with right now, get the most traction starting out, which was, was really about those one-to-one conversations and, and having a direct, um, a direct conversation one-on-one with, um, the people that you're looking to serve, and so for, for modern musician, what that looked like was getting on coaching calls and actually mm-hmm. starting to work with a few people one on one. And that was when I got my first, you know, quote unquote success story with like they went tour hacking and they made eleven thousand dollars in a month. And that's when things sort of really started, like the rubber started to meet the road. Sure. And what I realized is just like I was just out of touch. I was what I call it, like I call it being out of tune, you know, with the needs of of the market. You know, I think I I was disconnected because I had reached a certain point, but I forgot what it was like to be at the beginning. Like I, mm. yeah. And so listening to them and asking questions, um, was just like, it was about like getting in tune the same way, even if you had the greatest song in the world and you practiced it, you played it perfectly, but you got on stage and the guitar was completely out of tune. Huh. It just, it wouldn't resonate. Right. It just sounds terrible. Um, so it was really about like having conversations, listening and really connecting and learning how to communicate and um, so that's what really helped us grow and get to our first six figures as a business. And then from there, you know, we had to start building a team um, just because it's really hard to scale like one-to-one, one-to-one coaching. But, right. Um, but ultimately, the thing, the through line is what we call virtual tour hacking. And um, basically what, what it looks like is just a campaign that's based on a messenger campaign. And the thing that we see getting the best Facebook traction – uh, Facebook and Instagram Messenger. Okay, um, it's just a campaign where it's like it's literally like tour hacking, um, but instead of walking up to people online, you, know, you do it 
virtually and it's like a 20 second long video where you're just interested like hey what's going on my name is michael so you're, you're, you're like are you break it down for me so like your dm uh fans of a band that's similar to you so like if we were talk, doing the all-time low instead of going up to the kids in line at their show you're going to the followers of all-time low on their instagram and you're sending them cold messages saying hey Big fan of All Time Low. I saw you dig them too. Here's my new song. Let me know what you think. Or how, how, break it down for me a little bit further. Yep. So you definitely could do it organically like that. If you're just getting started, you don't want to put any money into paid traffic. Um, I think that's a great way to start. Just like follow all your favorite bands. Start interacting. Start connecting. And then mm-hmm. maybe follow them. if they follow you back, just reach out and connect and say, hey, what's going on? I just wanted to introduce myself and you know have a conversation like that. I think that's a great mm-hmm. way to start. But um, what, what we do for... Um, for, for most artists that we're working with personally is we'll launch a messenger campaign using an ad campaign on like Facebook, uh, Facebook business manager that also it. targets Instagram. And the video, the video is like a 20 second video that just says, um, Hey, what's going on? My name is Michael. I play keyboard in a band called paradise fears. I think if you're a fan of blank, blank or blank, you might like our music too. If you're interested, click on send message button below. I'll send you a song and I'm looking forward to connecting more. Hmm. And then people click on send message and it goes to the inbox and then you start having a conversation and we have like a kind of a guideline for how to have these conversations and build a relationship. But really it's just about being a human being and just like having a conversation with, with a, with a new person and, mm. um, and at the end of it, making sure that you offer, you make them a invitation to join your private community and that's how you can get their email address and, and their contact info. And, the biggest issue that we've had through doing that is, and this happens with literally every single person that that we launch one of these campaigns for, is, and I, I call this like a quote unquote good quality problem to have because it's it sounds a little bit ridiculous, but it's like it actually it is a serious problem, is that every single person is like you reach this point usually within a first week where you're getting so many messages coming in that you just can't keep up with the message flow and you're trying to have conversations with everyone. And you can't keep, so it's like you're drowning in, um, in new fans of your music. Yeah. Right? So that's why it's a quote unquote good quality problem to have, but it's sure. a serious problem because you can't scale it up. Um, so a big part of what we do now is we build out, um, AI chatbot, uh, messenger campaigns sure. using Janus AI dialogue flow that basically use the same tools that Google home and Amazon Alexa use to sort of interpret. Is that like, meaning. is that like, uh, I haven't heard of those platforms, but is that like many chat? I've heard of many chat. Is that the same it's thing? Like, it's like a super smart ManyChat. So it also uses ManyChat. But um, what it what it does, it basically uses ManyChat. So the way that it kind of can, you, know, you can have those huge, almost choose your own adventure maps where you can go different right. places within the conversation. But the, the AI component of it is the same thing that like Siri and Amazon Alexa use to kind of interpret the meaning of what you say. So for example, if you share a song and um, say, I'd love to hear what you think. And they say, oh, it was dope. Or, oh, man, that was awesome. Right. Uh, that was sick. Then it's able to be like, okay, that was a good thing. So based on that, we should go down this path and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so do people actually think they're interacting with a person? Sometimes, but we don't encourage um, artists to do that just because it's a bit misleading. Like, So usually right. we recommend like starting out by being like, hey, so this is my blank bot. Or this is – you can even give them a name. Fun. Um, and yeah, the point of it is so that you know, I can figure out if, um, so I can share some of the music. And if we're, if you like the songs, then I'll invite you to our private community where we can connect more personally. And, and then what's like, the private like, community? You know, this is one thing that we're playing around with because there's, you know, there's, there's so many different platforms you could do this on. The one that we're using right now that's been working pretty well is, is Facebook groups, like mm-hmm. a private okay. Facebook group. 
But right now, I'm exploring using Discord yeah. as like a, a community place where you can just invite people there. And mm-hmm. um, I know Patreon I think- officially partnered with Discord, and Discord uh-huh. has been uh, kind of more the go-to for a lot of Twitch streamers. Uh, they take their community to Discord. I mean, Discord I've been hearing more and more about is like that's the hub for community, especially because like. Facebook, uh, you're at the mercy of Facebook and their and how they work and and so many people. I mean, I deleted Facebook from my phone and and you know it's kind of like I literally only go on Facebook for the groups that I'm a part of that I want to be engaged with, but I like wish they weren't on Facebook. So I I, I think Discord would be a great option. Cool. Yeah, that we're, it's really brand new. I'm actually doing like a beta test. Um, I'm getting ready to release new music, and so I like created a new project. I mean, mm-hmm. Big cool. plans for, for how we're releasing it, and um, one of the things that we're doing is is creating a community on Discord, so we can kind of test it out and and see how. It so goes. is this? Um, I, I'm curious about your this coaching stuff that you're doing, and, and this 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 program that you have, where this messenger campaign, and what's the end goal? Because if people are paying you a lot of money to learn this stuff, but then they're also spending a lot of money on Facebook ads, which are you know I know firsthand are very hit or miss you can waste a lot of money trying things out thousands of dollars trying things out before you find something that works um how to how can they justify this this uh this investment what is the return here what how are how are they working towards roi or are they working towards ROI? what were the goals here yeah yeah that's that's a really good question i mean i think the two biggest goals at least on the surface are like one they want to grow their audience and have like a meaningful connection with like real people who are enjoying the music Um, so that's a a big one and then two is they want it to be sustainable as a business so they want it to be profitable and um you know personally i've (laughs) i remember starting modern musician and i invested um thirty six thousand dollars into business mentors and you know it it took nine nine months for me for things to like to really start gaining traction but um but also i can in retrospect um, see that I was planting the seeds and there's just, there's no way that we would have built what we did now without mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so there's, those are the two main goals. And I mean, the, the main, um, goal with the business model is we want to get people to 5k a month with their music. Cause we feel like that's a good okay. point where they can do it full time. Yeah. Um, I try to be as transparent as possible with people that, that a lot so much of it depends on their starting point where, where they're at like mm-hmm. you know if you're coming into the program like one of our artists um, Jason Jason Tonioli is a piano um, instrumentalist and he came into the program and he was already he was already killing it he had like a $11,000 a month um, music business already doing and, what primarily um, had funnels selling piano hymn books oh okay um, yeah, wow. so he like, so he he's awesome. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. He's a, he's a really smart business person too. Like sure. he, he's exceptional. He's he's awesome. Sure. Um, but you know he came in eleven thousand dollars a month, and then in like three months he had brought in two hundred nine thousand dollars from from his funnels. So like, and no, but step me know, through. But again, how? What what is he ch- ch- by selling him books? Yeah. So that was his that was his main offer is selling selling him books. And then he has packages. He's a big click funnels guy, so he's uh he's read a lot of Russell Brunson's books and um and he's click great. Like he showed me his ClickFunnels. ClickFunnels is the sales page platform where you can send somebody to this landing page, they decide the action they want to take, and then it sends you through a quote unquote funnel of different actions of like put your email here, buy this offer, that kind of stuff. 
Yeah. So like creating different offer stacks and um and again like so the reason I bring him up is because he's he's the exception. Like he, he's someone who came in he was already doing eleven thousand dollars a month sure. and it's one thing to kind of like pour gas in on the fire. But for someone who's brand new who's coming in, um, it's unrealistic um, that they're going to go from a point where it's like. They're, they've invested a lot, but they're not making any money to right. the point where they're making $5,000 a month in right. three months. Um, so the initial goal is just to get to a point where they have a profitable funnel where like they're putting in a dollar and they're getting more than a dollar out. And, and what are the offers for the people that don't have hymn books? What are some of the offers? So there's four, there's four different offers that, uh, that we recommend that they, that they make. And um, I'm happy to, to share the the four of them, and there's a there's a lot of information that that we could we could go into here that would take a, f- a few hours. But right, right, um, right. No, just but, give me the broad strokes here. I'm curious because it's just like because he, here's where I'm coming from. I'm like, all right, you can't sell CDs anymore. I would imagine. I mean, you could, but like you said, you know, people are buying them as like souvenirs, like your tour hacking did. Um, are you sending people? You know, eventually, like we've experimented with sending people to. Uh, Spotify, which if you can do this on a macro scale, you can trigger the algorithms and and you can be profitable. Um, we have tested this. It's it's a full on math equation. It's basically if you're going to spend this amount of money on ads, you're going to send people to Spotify and, you know, uh, a, a million streams is going to get you around uh, $3,000, $3,500. So it's like you can kind of crunch the numbers there. It's a broken funnel if you're in the in the marketing terms and because like Spotify only gives you very, very limited data. So it's like, all right, well, that probably that that can be also challenging when you're trying to measure a dollar in, dollar out, dollar in, two dollars out, whatever. Um so what are the are you is it merch? I mean, I, I've seen people do merch funnels where it's like buy a t-shirt, but then like you buy a T-shirt from an artist you don't know, like so. Yeah, step me through this. What are these offers? Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question. Um, and honestly, I mean, I, I've, I'm really intrigued by like before the interview, I was like looking at uh, Lucidius and looking at your mm-hmm. Instagram. I was like, wow, that's that's really cool. That's really impressive. And I think that like imagining these strategies aligning together could just be like super powerful. Yeah. But um, so the four different offers that that we recommend and the ones that we build out are there's a couple of them are merchandise based. And then one of them's a inner circle, so it's like a Patreon model. And then uh, my personal favorite one is a high ticket, high ticket offer, and that's the one that I think is has the most lucrative like potential. And it's also the one that that requires like you don't need to have a lot of people in order to sure. make a serious revenue doing that. So we have right. examples of um, people like uh, Todd Herzog who has like 250 people in his private community, and he sold over four thousand dollars of these high ticket offers already. Um, that goes so, along the same uh, mindset of uh, what's happening that we're seeing on live streaming on Twitch and how you don't need millions of fans to make thousands of dollars. You can have hundreds of fans to make tens of thousands of dollars. 100%. Yeah, I, I forget where I heard this, but um, but the idea that um, it's a lot easier to make one $5,000 sale than it is to make $5,001 sales. Mm. Um, which is really interesting, you know, like because you because one five thousand dollars sale versus five thousand one dollars sales, um, I think that there's there's something really powerful about going deep and narrow and really focusing on the high end um, to to enter a market. Because also, I think when you think about the high end, it really kind of forces your brain to think about how can I deliver more value. 
Mm-hmm. And that's always a really good question to be asking. Is like, and there's a lot of really fun, almost like priceless experiences and things that you, you can create. That, that really gets into like the experience kind of level, which is right. in terms of value is so subjective and something that can be totally life changing. And for someone who has, you know, millions of dollars, um, spending five thousand dollars on something um, might or might not be, you know, that much money to them. Mm-hmm. But the experience um, is can be so valuable. So, 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 uh, what are some examples of high ticket items or offerings that these musicians can and are seeing success with? Yeah, I think this is definitely the thing that I geek out about the most because also it's just it's more of a newer um, thing that we're realizing, I guess, sure. because with Paradise Fears, I mean, definitely a, a huge part of our business model was we offered um, private parties. So, huh. you know, we would go out to our fans' houses and, and perform for them and their friends and their family. And, you know, we did this for a variety of different um, events. And mm-hmm. I think the most expensive one we ever did was like a $6,000 event. Yeah. And um, those were awesome. And also the people that we connected with through that were just like the best relationships that we built. Those were like the quote unquote super fans, the people who right. we know by first name and just, just amazing. And I think for a long time, I assumed that um, the only, because for us, it was true that the people that we did those for were people that came out to a show previously, like they were already a really big fan right. and then they would get these, these high ticket offers. And so I it would assume like, you know, someone wouldn't invest that kind of money unless they're already like a really big fan. Sure. And what we're finding now is like with Todd Herzog, for example, like like a $3,000 sale to someone who just came in through, through his ads Wow! and what he's offering. And this is what we're starting to explore more now um, is offering some form of, uh, there's, there's a bunch of different things you could offer, but the thing that I'm probably most excited about is some form of like coaching in the form of either like songwriting coaching or in Todd's, Todd's case, it was like a songwriting slash healing experience for someone who like, they, I think they had gone through a loss and basically he met with her to help co-write um, the song. It was a $3,000, $3,000 offer. And it was like hugely valuable mm. for, for her. And um, he, he was deeply fulfilled from it as, as well. Um, I, I know he's also done like private, um, private songs. Where is Todd like, Herzog, you know, is he the guy from Survivor from 10 years ago? <laughs> is this a different Todd Herzog? No, di- different Todd Herzog. Okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually, I think I Googled him like two or three days ago as well, and I saw the same thing. I was like, oh, that's funny. Um, but no, if you type in Todd Herzog music, you'll probably, you'll probably find is him. Is he but the, he, uh, uh, okay, Jewish rocker? Yeah, he's, he's such a good guy. Yeah, he's awesome. He's awesome. Cool. Um, but yeah, we've had examples. And also there's like this, uh, I think it's like 17-year-old kid named Bryce who he got a $1,500 um, high, ticket, high ticket sale. Um, I think it was like a wedding that he performed at. Um, so yes, yeah, so obviously there's like weddings and there's, there's cool. like songwriting, like co-writing kind of experience. That's cool. I mean, I, I love that. It's kind of, I mean, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like when I ran my Kickstarter, uh, mind you, my, uh, first one, uh, gosh, this was probably 10 years ago at this point, you know, I had an item on there, uh, that I would write you a song, uh, customized based on, I would, it would be for you or your partner or whomever you wanted me to write it for. I was charging three hundred fifty dollars, and I and I maxed. I I put a capacity of of uh, or a limit on five of those. Now day one that I announced my Kickstarter, those five sold out, and I was like, oh my gosh! Like people actually, that's the thing is like we we forget that we have this skill or we have this this gift um, that a lot of people don't have, and 
they liked my songwriting enough. They're like, oh my gosh, you could write a customized song and you'll sing it and record a video for it and I can give it to my girlfriend or whatever on Valentine's Day on our birthday. And, you know, they both came to my show, whatever. So like, it makes a lot of sense. And, and similarly, I mean, uh, I did a house concert tour um, one year where I did, it was like one, one fall or something. And I did, you know, 30, 40 house concerts. It was just a tour of just house concerts. And, you know, they were probably capped at like 30, 40 people at most, but many of them were probably around the 30 mark, 20, 20 to 30 mark. I made more money on that tour than I did on tours playing clubs with 500 people a night. And that's crazy when you really think about it. It's just like, again, as an industry, we're so obsessed with the numbers, with the macro, with quantity over quality. Like, this has been something in the, the history of the music business, and we're finally shifting away from this mentality, but, like, to an extent, and, and not so in another way, but, like, that it's it's been more impressive to sell, and 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 we have, we have, uh, we have valued success uh more impressively or deeper by by making a million dollars from uh a hundred thousand people than making a million dollars from a thousand people and it's like it's more you know it's like people have always said it was like yeah the music business has always been the business of selling a lot of small priced items to a boatload of people but now we're kind of shifting away from that as in you don't need to sell a bunch of small price items to a lot of people. You can that's the that's the that's the thousand true fans concept. If you can find a thousand fans out there that will pay you a hundred dollars a year for the rest of your life, you have a solid, solid career. Now it doesn't need to be a thousand, it could be five hundred fans paying you two hundred dollars a year. It could be two hundred and fifty fans paying you three hundred dollars or four hundred, you know, whatever. And any combination of that is I think what you're seeing in real time here. But that's Absolutely. I think everything, this is a convergence of of all of these um, things that I, I think we're discovering uh, in into this, this platform, this funnel that you've created right now, um, which I think is really smart. We don't have time to get into uh, just what has been happening on the Facebook marketing and Apple iOS side, which is like a totally different conversation that we can have a different time because like uh, marketers, ad specialists across the board are freaking out. Because Apple has put up this iron, uh, this iron curtain right now, saying blocking Facebook and every other advertiser from from accessing the data on iPhones these days. Which, like, as a consumer, I'm just like, hell yeah, put up this privacy. I don't want Facebook listening to my conversations about how I need some new shoes, and then I see an ad for shoes on my Facebook or Instagram profile the next day. It's like, yeah, I don't want that. But then, as an advertiser, I'm like, you know what? It helps me find very high quality, quote unquote. Fans who are re- welling, like ready to convert, and so it's like that with shoes. Everyone's like, "Oh yeah, you know, forget Nike and Adidas, and I don't want them to advertise me." But but it was like, how can I access fans of uh, John Mayer, of J.P. Sachs, of Theo Katzman? Of you know, like how can I find these fans of these artists that are similar to me? In the sense of just like, if they like these artists, they're probably going to like me. You knew like all time low. If you like all time low, you're probably going to like paradise fears. It's that concept now in an advertising realm, which I totally understand. And so I guess time is going to tell what will happen now that Apple has basically cut off all advertisers from accessing this data. There's workarounds, all of that stuff. We don't need to get into that. Uh, 
this has been a really incredible conversation and I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about all this stuff. Um, I have one final question that I ask everybody um, bef- at the end of the show, and it is, and I'm very curious to hear your answer, what does it mean to make it in the new music business? Hmm. Uh, I love that question. Yeah, I think the new music business, and in a lot of ways it's always been this way, is about impacting as many people as possible or even just making as big of an impact as possible not necessarily the amount of people but also like the kind of impact they're making so i think that that ultimately it's about the connection that you have with with those people and i think what it means is being a lot having a lot more transparency a lot more interaction a lot more conversation happening between uh, between you and your audience and i think that I think that there's there's going to be a lot of movement towards I think that the role of a musician, the role of music in general has for for as long as the history can recall has been a, a tribal experience about bringing people together and a lot of times kind of has facilitated uh, transformation like you know we're coming to of age and it's like now we're gonna have the ceremony and we're gonna have music and it's sort of like it moves someone from point A to point B yeah so I think that there's gonna be a big movement um, in terms of musicians re- re- recognizing their role of like transformation givers and helping to um, like almost like as a part of like a healing process, maybe even, or even just like some, like I think empowering people, like being more of a guide or spiritual guide and helping to Mm -hmm. facilitate these transformations. All right, Michael Walker, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. Thanks for having me, man. This is a lot of fun. Brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com.